Welcome to the 1-0 Podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. 1-0 Podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy Podcast channel. Today, as we mentioned, we are back on our regular schedule, posting once a week. We talk about, hey, they did, in fact, land another commitment. The Longhorns did since we last recorded in the form of Sadir Mitchell from Ordell, New Jersey, Bergen Catholic. Uh, also, another thing that came out since then is Texas looks like they're going to have some new uniforms. Nothing too drastic, uh, but an improvement. And we'll get into the details on that before finally talking a little bit about Big 12 Media Days. The next time we record will probably be after that. So we'll preview some of the news that has come out about the Big 12, Big 12 Media Days, preseason teams, and where Longhorn stand, where some Longhorn players stand on preseason watch lists. Be sure you listen to our show and everyone gets a trophy hosted by Paul Wadlington. I was just on there yesterday. So Paul's been bringing the, bringing the gamut of guests around. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and feel free to leave a review. Also, this is going on your YouTube channel, right, Brad? So feel please subscribe to Brad's YouTube, YouTube channel and leave a comment and turn on notifications for that so you don't miss a video. So Brad, back on the regular schedule, you had finally some news happen that takes away uh, the Deshaun Watson discussion a little bit from sports radio last week with the Big Ten. But <laughs> it is uh, it is talking season. But before we get to talking season, recruiting never stops. We always know recruiting never stops in college football. And it still hasn't stopped for Texas. Um, they went in last week all the way up to New Jersey to get a four-star uh, defensive lineman in Sadir Mitchell. And you look at his ranking in the on-three consensus. He's the number 322-ranked player in the country, uh, number 42 defensive lineman, number five player in New Jersey. And you kind of look at that and think, you know, why, why are we going – all the way to New Jersey for looking for Texas Longhorns future defensive linemen. But did you see what the final four hats on the table were? Mm-hmm. They were Georgia, Miami, Texas A&M and Texas. And on a CBS sports live stream, he picked up the Texas hat and chose that over a Georgia program that wanted them over a Miami program that wanted him and over a Texas A&M program that wanted him. So there are times when you can look at, you know, what the, what the recruiting services, what on three, all the different ones think. But sometimes the most important market is the one that the coaches determine. And the defending national champions wanted this guy and Bo Davis and Steve Sarkeesian went in and won the battle for him. Yeah, if the guy can play, I don't care where he's from, right? I mean, look, there's a ton of talent in the state of Texas. Uh, you feel like you can compete for national championships just recruiting Texas kids, but everybody knows that, right? Like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, all of these schools come in and poach players from the state of Texas. It's so hard to recruit everybody in this state, so sometimes you have to dip out of state and bring in some talented players. And once again, I don't, I don't care where he's from. If the guy can play – then this is a good get for Texas. And I think you brought up a good point, Joe. If Georgia wants him, if Kirby Smart wants him, one of the best defensive minds in the sport, obviously the defending national champions, if they feel like this guy is worthy of a scholarship, then he must have some talent, some game. So, look, it's a step up for anybody going from high school to college football. New Jersey high school football ain't the same as Texas high school football or Florida or California. So it'll obviously be a big step when he gets to the 40 acres, but I'm with you hundred percent, man. Four-star kid who was offered by a number of big time programs across the country. 
I'm not going to complain about that at all. And, and we talked about it last week, the importance of building through the trenches, right? That's been a huge problem for Texas in recent years on both the offensive and defensive lines. So bringing in more big bodies to help solidify yourself in the battle of the trenches, uh, never a bad plan either. So I'll take it. And Texas continues to uh, roll seemingly on the recruiting front, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with with Sadir Mitchell, uh, one of the things that is always really important is fit. And when you're running a ideally a two four five defense like Pete Kwiatkowski wants to run, those two are the big defensive linemen. Those the other you know the outside edge players are more hybrid players who sometimes they go forward, sometimes they drop back into coverage. But the two are always going to be you know there in the middle kind of one technique maybe a three technique but they are going to be guys constantly battling it out in the trenches and at six four and a half listed at 345 pounds this is the type of player who Pete Kwiatkowski has had before and I'm not saying that this is what Sadir Mitchell is going to be but the ideal type of player that they're looking for for this position is in the NFL and it's Vita Vea mm. who played at Washington under PK uh, who was drafted? I think he's with the the Bucks now, um, and has been really successful there. So um, you know, it's someone you look at. You know, Keandre Coburn being in that role this year, maybe Tavondre Sweat, heck, maybe any other freshman or someone like Byron Murphy. Uh, Byron Murphy may have a different role, but this that's the type of mold they're looking for—a big guy who can take on blocks, who can take on two guys at once. Like sometimes this defense asks. Um, and is able to throw his literal weight around in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of some of the other guys that PK coached at Washington, Danny Shelton comes to mind. You know, not a great NFL player, but a guy who was a what first-round draft pick a few years ago. Greg Gaines, really good defensive tackle for Washington, uh, was on the Rams, helped them win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, Big-time space eaters and guys who can disrupt both in the run game and in the pass game, but space eaters, guys who take up multiple blocks and help open up lanes for linebackers to make plays in space. So, yeah, look, Vita Vez, that's uh, you're not comparing Mitchell to him, but that's the type of player that uh, PK is looking for and he's had success with in the past. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a regular thing, as long as PK is the guy as the defensive coordinator at Texas, him going after big body defensive tackles like this to make sure he can run the defense that he wants to run. Yeah, so Bo Davis, he brought in a bunch of guys from the last cycle. Uh, right now, just looking through uh, the Texas class, they have another defensive lineman and Dylan Spencer from the Houston area committed, who um, I think since a lot of recruiting services evaluated him has continued to grow like a teenager, uh, athletic teenager would. Uh, they have Sadir Mitchell. Um, they have some edge guys and Billy Walton and are after a few others. Uh, but there are still a few spots that remain on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, and even the, you know, rest of the defensive line, of course, there's David Hicks, uh, Katie Pato, the number one, probably the number one prospect in Texas that they're still after. They obviously have room for, uh, let me look through a few more. I think Marcus Deal and Terrence Green, Terrence Green uh, two guys who could play offense, could play defense at the next level. But I believe if I have this down right, Texas is, Recruiting both of those guys uh, as defensive linemen, if if and if I'm wrong there, at least just one. Uh, Tassili Akana, that'd be an edge guy, and Darian Gallette, another edge guy that they're they're after. Braylon Shelby. So there's still some work to be done here on the defensive line recruiting. They still, I guess, have a chance at 
Mateo Uyangale, DJU's little brother, uh, also with uh, Hunter Osborne from Hewitt Trustville, same school as uh, Justice Finkley. Um, so, and, you know, there's uh, Michael Gardner, uh, there's Samu Tamonu Pepe. There's still a few more guys out there uh, who the Longhorns are after, but uh, this this pledge of Mitchell, I mean, yes, it does help you fit a spot in this class, but I, I just can't get over the head-to-head win over Georgia for a recruit <laughs> that technically is closer to Athens than he is to Austin, like that. Yeah. And 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 of and of course, um, you also have Mario Cristobal, who more than any other coach we can think of, probably believes in winning in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been important for Steve Sarkeesian and this entire Texas coaching staff to build through the trenches, right? The historically good offensive line class in 22. I think they brought in like four or five interior defensive linemen this year as well in the class of 2022. So uh, the self-scouting, I think, has been pretty good. Like they saw where they were weak last year. And hell, if you've been a Texas fan, you know, they've been positions of weakness for a while now with this program but uh, yeah they're going after the trenches which that's how you win in any conference especially the sec now where texas is moving to in a couple of years i mean you've got some big dogs on both sides of the lines of scrimmage in that conference you got to make sure you have dudes who are uh, physically able to compete with uh, some of the best in all of college sports so yeah i i like the plan and i like that as you mentioned you gave a long list of names some of those were very difficult to pronounce so well done to you tip of the cap on getting those right uh, but i love that there's still a long list of names that texas has offered and that texas is going after because i feel like you can never have too many quality offensive and defensive linemen especially defensive linemen right like offensive linemen in a perfect world you've got five guys who start every game does that ever happen no guys get hurt sometimes you have inconsistencies in production but defensive linemen like they rotate in and out so you need a lot of those guys to keep guys fresh making sure you have uh, a number of good ones in the cupboard very important very important for this team to try to figure some things out so once again i like that that seems to be an area where texas is really attacking it's not like oh we did good there last year so we maybe don't need to hit it that hard this year uh, they realize that uh, offensive and defensive line are spots where you really have to attack every single year. And, uh, you know, looking at Texas's class, according to on three, number four class right now in the country had creeped up to number three. Uh, but I believe that both uh, Alabama and Ohio state picked up a few guys over the course of the last couple of weeks. The important metric to look at is the average class rating. Um, of course, you want to have, you know, at least 50% be blue chips or higher, uh, four or five star heart or higher. Texas is at 67% right now. So you're already there. And of course, there's going to be some of that a little bit inflated by having someone like Arch Manning, whose rating is approaching 99 or a perfect 100 in some of the uh, various metrics. But the average class rating, at least according to the on three consensus right now, is above 90. It's 90.43. Um, looking at some of the other ones, I mean, Alabama only has 11 in their class, but they're at 92. Ohio State's almost a 92. Uh, Notre Dame's at 91 and a half. Georgia's at 91 and a half. So that's where you need to be in order to, you know, stack success is having an average player rating in your class be above 90. And, and Texas is there right now, even with a guy like Mitchell, who, who you know, his consensus ranking is. 89 and a half so what uh um, what happened to three star shark joe i thought he was three star shark i didn't think he had the ability to uh recruit blue chip guys the way that he has yeah he's he's picked up um a lot of different i mean even some of those guys were 
uh, three stars that they picked up in that string of commitments. But Jonah Wilson, four star, Dylan Spencer, four star, Jaden Chapman, uh, and John Tay Cook, high four star guys, even Derek Williams. So, yeah, uh, nomen- nicknames from rival fan bases don't always hold true. Um, imagine, imagine that. <laughs> who who could have figured? So, another interesting thing, um, and I'm curious what you think about this the in state percentage is two-thirds of the class so two-thirds of this class is from texas um what does that you know number strike you any particular way i mean obviously arch manning you go after him no matter what he's right there across the the river in louisiana and obviously he was one of those types of players who would kind of be able to go anywhere he wanted uh wasn't really bound he's not the typical louisiana recruit um, but you know, they go ahead and s- snatch one of the best players in Louisiana and Derek Williams. Uh, they go to, you know, California and New Jersey and Hawaii for recruits. Does anything about having the in-state percentage being only two thirds, does that factor anything to you? Or is that just, you know, fine as long as the guys can play football really well? Yeah, it's fine as long as the guys can play football really well. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I mean, you could win a national championship with just players from the state of Texas, right? There's so much talent in this state every single year that if you were able to recruit the top guys, uh, you'd be the best team in college football year in and year out. But there are so many other schools who know how good the state of Texas is. So I mentioned some of the out-of-state schools. Obviously, you've got in-state competition as well. It's just tough to get all of those guys. So going out-of-state sometimes is necessary. And yeah, if there are guys who could play, then I'm cool with it. And that's one of the things that we knew that we were getting with Sark, his ability to recruit out of state, right? If there was sort of a question, I guess there were a few questions about Sark, but in terms of recruiting, it's like, well, how many connections inside the state of Texas does he have? People weren't quite sure what that was going to look like, but people felt confident he'd be able to recruit outside of state, right? Uh, with his connections at Alabama, at USC, in Washington, he built up a lot of rapport across the country, and you felt like there was going to be a way where he'd be able to successfully recruit outside of the Lone Star State. So, yeah, you know, on one hand, it's like, well, you want to get as many in-state guys as possible. You want to keep the best players close to home. But it ain't Mac Brown era anymore where it's like it's feasible and realistic for you to get every single top player in the state. It just doesn't happen nowadays. So if you find some talent in the other 49, hell, or internationally, I'm all for it. Go after it. Just find guys who can play and compete. Hey, they're going to Hawaii for the first time that I can ever really remember. And they're going to New Jersey maybe for the first time since – you know, I don't know how Juwan Mitchell factors in considering he went to junior college. So maybe since Chris Sims and Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, uh, it's not, you know, you, normally everybody talks about you have to get on Texas. You have to get, you know, own Texas. And you do. Uh, getting someone like John Tay Cook and being uh, right there for David Hicks, uh, JV and Toviano, Malik Muhammad, uh, and Anthony Hill, that's what you have to do in order just to get the perception of your, of your main recruiting base down. But if you can go out to California, go to Arizona or, you know, go to anywhere and get the best players, you do that. And Steve Sarkeesian has echoed that sentiment. He was asked about it, I think in May, uh, just about recruiting and, you know, our jobs to get the best players. And if it's New Jersey, if it's Hawaii, that's where he's going. So, yeah. I mean, look at some of the best programs in college football. Like it's a little different because Texas has more talent in its state than Alabama or Georgia or anything like that. But now the best programs just get the best players, regardless of where they're from. And you want Texas to have that identity and that brand again, where people all over the country 
want to play for Texas. It's not just, I grew up here. My parents went here. It's the state school. I'm going to go to UT. That's all fine. And Danny, don't get me wrong, but you also want it to be like, oh yeah, I, I'm in Ohio. I want to play for Texas because they're really freaking good. Uh, you know, I'm in Missouri. I'm in California and Texas is such a good brand and they're playing so well and Sark's developing talent and sending the guys off to the NFL. I want to go to Texas because being in Austin and playing for the university of Texas is awesome. So yeah, that's, that's what you want it to get to. Uh, it's, you know, recruiting wise, it feels like it's starting to get there, but obviously if the results translate to the field in the fall, then Texas will, will be able to take pretty much the guys that they want from all over the country. Yeah, we'll see. And we're counting down the days. We're under two months till football. Man. It's, it's, it's fun to think about and, you know, Hey, week zero will be here before we know it. We'll be trying to figure out lines for the max. So, um, but until then, uh, recruiting still is ongoing, kind of in a dead period right now. And as uh, after Big 12 media days, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on at the end of the month with several schools. I believe Texas A&M, Texas, even some other ones around the, the state and even the local region hosting recruiting weekends at last weekend of July should be interesting. And uh, top targets will be going uh, all over the place, including to Austin. So recruiting's not done. And, you know, we, I've, we've still got some, uh, we've still got some stories that are written that we're waiting, waiting to press go on. I think everybody's like that. So uh, a lot of it's preparation and some of it's information. So, um, you know, we, we had that arch, we didn't know exactly when arch was going to go, but we had that story ready for a while. Cause you don't want to be caught flat footed no. uh, with that. And we don't want to be caught flat footed with anybody. So um, recruiting still going on. Uh, but there was some news about kind of the on-field variety uh, that came out today. And before we talk about today's news, I'm going to take you back to 2013 sophomore year of college for you and me uh last year of mac brown do you remember when do you remember the uniform change when they went from kind of the you know the late 90s vent or the late 90s ricky and vince and colt you know very plain texas across the chest regular numbers and on the uh number and then numerals on the bottom of the sleeves they changed that to the top of the sleeves or the shoulder pads in 2013. And I kind of looked at it at the time and I knew there was some basis in history for that, but I'm kind of thinking there's a lot going on there. And then they added the big 12 logo and then they added the, the Longhorn logo. And since 2013, which I think we can also agree was a very big uh, juncture towards in Texas football and in a juncture that kind of sent things to a, a bad place, They've had those uniforms, but it looks like today they are making a change after several, four uh, under 500 seasons. It kind of appears as if they're going to get rid of the numbers on the shoulder, have no numbers at all, and get rid of the longhorn on the collar. Does that mean anything for you? Does it mean, do you think like finally the cursed jerseys are gone? Finally, (laughs) we're back to the look we need to have. Like, I know some people are uh, very peculiar, particular about the shade of burnt orange and every equipment person swears up and down that the shade has not changed since Ricky Williams played football. But other than that, are you, are you pro all the changes that appear to have been made today, at least judging off what 
Texas posted on social media. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as much of a Jersey snob as a lot of people are. Like, I'm open to some creativity. I'm open to some flexibility. Like, my, my thought is, okay, your uniforms are part of your recruiting pitch. And if you can have alternate badass uniforms that 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids love and want to rock every Saturday, then I'm, I'm cool with it. So, look, I love tradition. Tradition's a big part of college sports. It's one of the things that makes college sports so great. But when it comes to the jerseys, I'm okay with switching things up a little bit. Uh, and with that being said, like, I'm okay with the change back to what we used to see. Maybe it was the jersey's fault. Maybe we've been wrong blaming the coaches or the boosters or the athletic directors or the quarterbacks or anybody else who's affiliated with the Texas football program. Maybe it's just the uniforms. Maybe they were cursed. And you go back to uh, some of the older school, uh, that, that even feels like a stretch, but, you know, some of the glory day uniforms that Texas was rocking, maybe that will create a change on the field. So, yeah, it, it always felt a little too busy over the last few years, just too much going on around the collar and the chest area with the Longhorn with the conference logo and then with the Nike swoosh there as well. It just, it didn't look clean, didn't look clear. So minimizing that I think is, is probably for the best and sure going with the number changes can't hurt. So I, my question is, are they going to go back to the Earl Campbell tearaways? Are they going to go back to the Ricky Williams mesh jerseys where you can like see the shoulder pads and see through, are they going to make those changes or uh, is that too far gone at this point? It's kind of funny you mentioned those mesh jerseys because I know Texas A&M and I know Notre Dame have done mesh throwbacks, but they're still the same material. So basically all it has is just holes on the numbers. Um, I miss those. They look great. They, they were they were great uniforms. So I bet they were pretty well ventilated yeah. uh, considering all the holes in there uh, for the mesh. Uh, but no, I wish. But it looks like it's a it's a return toward you know, simpler uniforms, uh, not as much clutter on the chest and collar area. I, I think, you know, a lot of people have varying opinions on the uniforms. Like you mentioned, you don't seem to have a strong one, uh, but you know, people, the, the idea of just that burnt orange being enough is strong with a lot of people. Yeah. And that's, that's true uh, to a certain extent. And you can look at Michigan, you know, they have that helmet. They don't have Michigan across the chest. Ohio state has, the Buckeyes on the helmet. Alabama just has really plain jerseys. Uh, even SC, you know, just with the the Trojan on the on the helmet. Longhorn Texas has a very you know iconic jersey, uh, and it's taken you know various forms in recent years. But I think they uh, they finally moved back to something that's closer to what it should be. Even with having Texas on the chest, I think that's a good look, and uh, maybe it'll reverse the fortunes of the of the past few years. So yeah, yeah. The biggest thing is, I mean, you have to get the color right, right? Like it's it's your color, it's your school's color. Nobody else has burnt orange in any sport anywhere. Uh, you got to make sure that that's right. You can't be messing with that every year or every couple of years. So yeah, I mean, there there's some still uh, some still shots over the course of the years where it looks like the shade of orange has changed. You got to get that thing right, though. And uh, it looks like in this picture, they got it right. So we'll, we'll see what it looks like in the fall. I'm sure we'll see some uh, side-to-side comparisons about the color from last year to this year. But that's the one thing that you, you should be particular with. Like, if you are going to wear the traditional burnt orange jersey, make sure it's burnt orange. Make sure it's the same orange that uh, the school has had for decades now. So, I don't know. Looking at this picture, I like it. Once again, not a big jersey sh- uh, snob, but it looks less cluttered, less messy, less going on. Uh, it's probably for the best. You just don't need all of that extra stuff really anywhere, but especially at, at, at Texas. Who's got the best jerseys in the Big 12? 
Got the best jerseys in the Big 12, Texas, of course. Are we talking about so? the future? All right, Big if you 12? can't pick Texas, who's got the best jerseys in the Big 12? Hmm. That's a good question. It's easy for me. Is it? K-State's home jerseys. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big purple guy. I, I hate K-State, so I can't give them any credit for anything. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got purple kryptonite PTSD from them and from TCU over the years. So it's a, yeah, I mean it's a I guess it's a cool color scheme if you like purple, but not for me. Nebraska uh, had some good ones, and yeah. then they would get weird with the alternates. Uh, BYU's got good unis, so but mine's K State. Then I think Texas is right there with them now, especially that they've uncluttered it. So. Enough about jerseys. Let's talk about a little bit of football uh, because yesterday the Big 12, uh, Texas, you know, favorite conference and affiliated group of institutions for athletics, released the media preseason football team. And uh, Brad, I I regret to say that I did not submit my vote uh, for the Big 12 media preseason football team. I absconded my responsibilities and i'm not sure how i'll be able to face myself tomorrow um but at least i didn't put three centers on the team uh, (laughs) like the big 12 did on its offensive line uh but texas had three uh players uh make the uh big 12 preseason media team of course you had xavier worthy you had Bijan robinson who was a unanimous selection along with fellow running back deuce vaughn then you had DeMarvian Overshone uh, for the defense, and those were the only three. Any any from that selection surprise you? Did you think there'd be more? I think everybody figured uh, Robinson and Worthy would make it after their performance last year. Uh, are you surprised by Overshone? Did you think more should have joined him? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I'm pretty cool with this list. I mean, like you said, everybody kind of assumed Bijan and where they were going to be here. And Bijan being named the preseason offensive player of the year for the conference makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's one of the best players in all of college football and the guy's just electric. So I'm happy he's getting the recognition that he definitely deserves. Uh, Xavier Worthy, too. I mean, burst on the scene with a spectacular freshman year. So it makes sense that uh, he's going to make the cut and I'm cool with Overshone being here. I mean, when he's on the field, he's been a difference maker. And even though last year was his first year, sort of in that traditional linebacker role, we saw some really, really good things from him. And I think we're going to see more really, really good things from him moving forward. So in terms of this being kind of a predictive ranking, like what we're going to see this season, I think DeMarvion Overshone is going to be one of the best linebackers in the big 12. So I'm okay with all three of those guys being on. Um, I'm trying to think like who, who you could argue is a snub. I'll tell you what, looking at the rest of this team, I mean, Spencer Sanders being the preseason all big 12 quarterback is ridiculous to me. If they're, if you're looking for anything to tell you the lack of quarterback talent, or at least like no quarterback, quarterback talent. Yeah. Known quarterback commodities in this conference right now. It's the fact that Spencer Sanders, who I think was throwing the big 12 championship game, Joe, like that was the last time we saw him play a conference game, and he was, like, trying to let Baylor win. He was that bad. Uh, the fact that that guy is the preseason quarterback this year is ridiculous to me. I'm not even sure he's the best quarterback on Oklahoma State, let alone the conference, but just tells you that, uh, yeah, a lot of quarterback turnover and a lot of quarterback unknown in the Big 12 going into 2022. That's the biggest thing for me is the unknown factor because you look at Baylor and at Chippian, who played a good amount last year but not was not the, the full-time starter. Uh, Iowa State, Brock Purdy's gone. 
Kansas. It's Jalen Daniels, but I mean, uh, it's Jalen Daniels. It's Kansas. K State newcomer Adrian Martinez. Oklahoma Dylan Gabriel, who is new <clears throat> newcomer over the year, and we can talk about that in a second. Then you have Spencer Sanders. You uh, with TCU. There's Max Duggan, who who knows if he's even going to be the starter. Uh, Texas, you have a quarterback competition that you kind of figure uh, a lot of conventional wisdom says will be Quinn Ewers. Texas Tech competition, I believe, uh, but unproven. And then West Virginia, JT Daniels, who uh, I I guess just kind of being the only incumbent to come back, like, were you going to put Hudson Card on there? Like, I I guess that's, it's not, it's, it's picking among undesirable options i guess you could say yeah has any has any newcomer ever been the first team quarterback going into the season right i've got they've got that newcomer of the year award that you just talked about but has it ever happened where a freshman or a transfer has been named preseason conference player of the year or conference quarterback of the year i wonder if uh jalen hurts got that ahead of what 2016 okay um a little after that no, it'd be 2019. Yeah. Um, that'd be my only one. Okay. I feel like he was no. newcomer of the year for sure. I, I can't remember if he was the preseason all Big 12 quarterback, but you're right. I mean, we've talked about it at times over the last 10 years, Joe. As conferences felt up for grabs at various points over the years, it sure as hell feels up for grabs right now. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma, new quarterback, but also new coach, like first time coach. We don't know what Brent Venables is going to be as a head coach, and they lost a ton of talent this offseason. Uh, Oklahoma State, yeah, they made the conference championship. They just missed the playoff, but they lost a ton on their defense, which was why they were so good last year. Baylor, yeah, they won the Big 12. They should be pretty good again this season, but sort of breaking in a new quarterback, and they lost some key pieces uh, on that conference championship winning team too. So this thing, I mean, once again, we've, we've mentioned this at times over the years, but it, it sure feels like this conference is for the taking. And just looking at the preseason quarterback going into this year, I think that tells you all that you need to know. What Dylan Gabriel kind of being just the the newcomer of the year, would you have put Quinn Ewers above above him or maybe Adrian Martinez above him for newcomer of the year? Um, I can't really think of any freshman that's huge deal, except maybe one of the guys Oklahoma grabbed when uh, uh, but nowhere near as proven as Dylan Gabriel just trying to think. I mean, maybe JT Daniels, Quinn Ewers, that's probably his only competition uh, for that for that spot. Is there anybody else you can really think of? No, and I think you said it with the proven word, right? Like we've seen Dylan Gabriel have a lot of success at this level. Uh, Quinn Ewers, more highly touted recruit. I think the ceiling for Quinn Ewers is higher than it is for Dylan Gabriel, but he took two snaps last year at Ohio State in garbage time. They were great snaps. No, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we like we barely seen him. We don't really know what to make of him. Uh, JT Daniels has played some, like more than Quinn Ewers, obviously, but now Gabriel had two really, really good seasons at uh, UCF before making the move to Oklahoma. So I, I don't know if he's going to win this award after the year but I, I've got no problem with him winning it right now. And yeah, there's no like super highly touted freshman recruit who, who comes to mind that should take this thing. So I don't know. Baylor don't know. having their, their tight end and two offensive linemen is, is, I, I mean, I think that whenever, uh, you know, we're recording at one forty-two here on, on Thursday, the big 12 uh, preseason poll is set to come out in a few minutes. I'd be shocked if Baylor wasn't number one. Really? I mean, you're defending champion. You not only have 
the quarterback that you chose, it's not Gary Bohannon, but uh, what is it? Blake shipping, shaping, it's, it's the quarterback you chose. Um, you have good infrastructure on an offensive line, a unique system. Uh, you may have to work a little bit at receiver, uh, but you also have the defensive, uh, you know, likely defensive lineman of the year in Siaki Ika, uh, Dylan Doyle's playing in, in there again. And you just trust that uh, Dave Aranda is going to be able to put things together on the defensive side of the football. Um, Baylor, I feel like, is probably represented about right. But what do you think about Kansas State having, I think they have the most selections between one, two, three, four, five, six. I think they have six selections. What do you think about the Wildcats having that many? I mean, especially compared to Texas's three. Yeah. I mean, looking at this team, it's wild. Dude, Oklahoma has one player on the preseason All-Big 12 team, and that's the punter. It's absurd. Think about the dominance OU has had over this conference in recent years. And I know they're having a lot of turnover. We just talked about it, but it still feels ridiculous that they only have one guy on the preseason All-Big 12 team and he doesn't play offense or defense. So that to me is the thing that sticks out the most. The fact that Kansas and Oklahoma have the same number of preseason All-Big 12 players, I, I never thought I would see that in football. Uh, but yeah, look, K-State's got some talent. Um, I, I, like, I don't think they're going to be – the big 12 champion. I don't think they're going to be in the big 12 championship game. They got to figure out the quarterback situation up there in Manhattan, but they've got some good players. Chris Kleiman has done a pretty good job developing. That's been his reputation for as long as he's been a head coach. So uh, I understand them having a decent amount of players and names on that list. And then Baylor, like it's, it's hard to go against them. You know, like if I had to make a conference championship game prediction right now, I'd probably go Baylor and Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma's more just because it feels like they're always there. I know they weren't there last year, but it's just like I'd I feel like an idiot not picking Oklahoma to make the conference championship game. But I mean, Baylor with what they did winning the conference last year, yeah, they lost some pieces, but you just mentioned they have some important guys coming back. And I think Blake Shapin's going to be an upgrade at quarterback over the quarterback play that they had last year. So I am curious to see who's number one. It might be Baylor. Uh, it sounds like, Joe, if you had a vote, you would have put Baylor at the top of your list. I would put Baylor. Oklahoma State, Texas, then Oklahoma. Really? I so, and I think this is a big split among not just Texas fans, maybe not so much, but among a lot of national people, uh, regional people looking at Oklahoma. I think that there's a kind of like in the same way, Texas is always number three in the Big 12 media poll, uh, or is always, you know, you know, there was that meme a few years ago where it's national champion, runner up, three through 24 number 25 is Texas in the preseason poll. Like every time. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of that going on with Oklahoma and that's not to doubt Brent Venable's defensive acumen because he has it. It's not to doubt Jeff Levy's system because it's worked, but what about Brent Venables as a head coach? What about how that roster that was built for a defense that emphasized speed and athleticism over size, how's that going to fit with what, Brent Venables wants to run that offensive line has not been as strong in the past two years as it has among, you know, the, the days of Lincoln Riley. I I'm looking at Oklahoma and kind of thinking that that season hinges on Dylan Gabriel. If he goes mm -hmm. down, who knows what that defense looks like? Cause there may be a lot of square pegs finding, trying to find round holes, who knows what that passing offense looks like because you're relying on a lot of young players who are just now learning the system to get that going. 
Who knows what the offensive line looks like? They're going to have good skill position guys. They still have good running backs and they still have a couple of good corners, but like top to bottom, I kind of think OU's in more of a precarious position than a lot of people want to admit. Yeah. I mean, they've got more questions than they've had in two decades, right? Yeah. Like going into a Bob Stoops or Lincoln Riley season, there were never this many questions about Oklahoma. There were things you, you could ask about, but uh, there are questions all over the Oklahoma roster for sure. And yeah, Dylan Gabriel does have an injury history. Uh, there's not a proven backup commodity at Oklahoma that we've sometimes seen in years past. So I'm with you, man. I mean, they're a wild card and I would love for Oklahoma to be bad. I just, I've basically never seen them bad. So I'm always going to assume they're going to be good, but it would be so nice if they had a run like Texas has had for a few years where it's just like they completely fall off the face of the earth because uh, they lose their coach and they can't get a coach higher right. So that would be nice if that happened for Oklahoma. But, you know, you brought up your top four. I wouldn't be surprised at all if all four of those teams got votes, like first place votes mm-hmm. to win the Big 12. Like I, I could see somebody picking Texas to win this conference. I, I could definitely see people picking Baylor. I could definitely see people picking Oklahoma State. I could see people thinking like me, like ah, Oklahoma, they always find a way to figure it out. I could see people picking the Sooners as well. So uh, you don't have that happen that often, Joe, or it's like four teams are getting first place votes, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if when this poll comes out here in a few minutes, that four different schools are getting that sort of recognition and have that parentheses with a number by their name. And who knows? Remember, wasn't Baylor picked ninth last year? I think so. Eighth or ninth, something like that. We know that. who's getting picked 10th, right? Who's that? Oh, the Jayhawks. Come on now. Same number of players on the preseason team as Oklahoma. KU's coming. Don't sleep on the Hawks, man. They might win three games this year. They've, they've got it. I think they they finally have a coach who understands the limitations and is trying to work around them instead of going right through them. Yeah. It seems like to me. Yeah. Um, but it's also Kansas, and that sport is second fiddle, as you well know, because there are probably Kansas fans. I know Baylor has that summer basketball team in the USA call it. I don't know what it is. Does Kansas have something like that right now? No, not this year. So, Mm -hmm. but I bet if they did, there'd be more attention paid to that than to, (laughs) you know, any Kansas football preseason. Yeah. I mean like the, the, the mid, the late night at the fog, you know, the sort of midnight madness thing they do gets more people than any football game in Lawrence. So I mean, Leipold, he's he's a program builder. He's done this at multiple spots in the past. Like, he, he was the right hire. And you saw some signs from Kansas last year. Unfortunately, Texas fans had to see their best performance of the year. But they they played some close games, too, down the stretch. Nearly beat Oklahoma. Nearly beat West Virginia. I think gave TCU a scare, too. So, they got better as the year moved on. But, yeah, they're 10th they're for sure. Like We know they're going to be 10th. That's the one thing that we really know. Set your watch uh, to it. Going into this, yeah, this, this poll release here in a few. So uh, another thing that came out yesterday was the names and uh, list of attendees from each school uh, for Big 12 Media Day. And there's some uh, Texas is sending four. Uh, It doesn't seem like it's going to be COVID restricted like it was last year, uh, where they only sent B. John Robinson and Keandre Coburn, if I remember correctly. Um, So they are sending four guys this year. In addition to Steve Sarkeesian, one is Bijan Robinson. It makes perfect sense. That's your face of the program right now. Another one's DeMarvian Overshone, uh, a star among Texas fans and, uh, you know, guy who knows how to market himself and is, has a chance to be a great, have a great fifth season. The other two, one moderately surprises, but makes sense. 
The other one really surprised me. Rashawn Johnson was a little bit of a surprise for me. And part of that is because even knowing the leadership uh, stature he has on this team, even knowing, you know, that he is the person that everybody looks to, like if, if they, I know Steve Sarkeesian doesn't name permanent captains till the end of the season, but he, he can go ahead and name Rashawn Johnson, but he's still a backup running back and he's still a converted quarterback. And I wonder if that's going to get some odd looks from people who may not be fam- as familiar with this Texas program uh, as people who follow it every day, like you and I, like, yeah. I wonder what people are going to think when they see, wait, you're sending your backup running back instead of maybe, you know, someone like Xavier worthy or even a quarterback. Like, does that, I, I like the move, but I feel like it could draw some, uh, raise some eyebrows among some people. Yeah. I might raise some eyebrows amongst people who don't keep up with the program or follow it closely like you and I do. And like, I assume everybody listening right now does too. Uh, Rojo makes a ton of sense and I'm glad he's there. He deserves to be there. This guy has been one of the most selfless players that I've seen at Texas in a long time. Uh, Just being willing to make the change from quarterback to running back and to just be as good as a running back as he has been. Yeah. He's a backup, but he's been really, really solid and effective when he gets his chances to play. So I think he deserves it. He's been in the program for a while. He's been willing to put the team in front of him countless times. Uh, I'm perfectly fine. I think most Texas fans are perfectly fine and happy that he's getting the opportunity to represent Texas because he's done it on the field for a long time. And now he's getting the chance to do it off the field too. So well-deserved for him. And yeah, nationally, people might be a little bit surprised. Like, wow, Texas doesn't have enough good players. They're sending backups now. What's the deal? But Rojo has meant a lot to this Texas football program. I think he's absolutely earned this chance. Yeah, I'm with you there. But the real surprise, and I guess there's some factors as to why it's, it's a surprise, is Ovi Agofu, who he had an okay year last year. But do you think that speaks to something about Ovi? Or is that something more about there just not being a lot of guys on that defense who have you know name recognition that you would send because they sent Coburn last year, but he didn't have the best of years. We know Moro Ojomo is uh, in media timeout for after the comments he made during the spring. <laughs> um, and I guess you could send any of your defensive backs, but they're shuffling those positions and there's still competition at all those different positions. So is this kind of a last man standing thing or what, what do you think of Ovi being sent? I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully it means he's going to have a breakout season because he hasn't done enough on the field at Texas to have, uh, I guess, earned this opportunity, this honor. Maybe I'm putting too much stock in the freaking media days, but we it are. feels like these, <laughs> these, spots, these spots are usually reserved to guys, for guys that we've seen a lot from uh, at their respective schools. And well, Gofu has been here for a year plus now, and it's not like he took the world by storm last year. So a little surprised, a little miffed. Uh, maybe there's no other super obvious candidate for Texas. Uh, Coburn would have made sense, but you know, I got to go last year, like you said, so maybe that's a part of it. Um, I, Texas could have brought three, like Baylor and Iowa State brought three, everybody else brought four, but there were a couple of schools who only bought three. So, hypothetically, you could have just left a gofu at home and said, Yeah, we don't need a fourth, we're cool with the three guys that we have here. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised by it once again, like I. I shouldn't put too much stock into it. Like, oh, this kid. I mean, what? clearly the guys in the locker room like him. Clearly the coaches like him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten this uh, invitation. So hopefully it translates into a breakout year 
Like hopefully part of this is because Agofu really showed out in, in the off season and was great in winter workouts and great in spring ball and has been great in summer conditioning. So we're giving him this honor to, to, to thank him and give him credit and recognition for what we've seen from him this off season. But yeah, it's, it, it did uh, catch my eye for sure. I was shocked, not just surprised, like shocked to see Agofu as one of the four names mentioned. Yeah, maybe they should have just brought three. But I think uh, Agofu, he's he's obviously a really smart kid. Um, one thing that I, I asked him about last year during some media settings was, you know, just having that playoff experience because uh, he does. And, you know, I, I'm very curious what it was like for him, a player who had reached some of the sport's highest, uh, highest points with Notre Dame to then go through a five and seven season and you know seeing maybe that's why they brought him to offer perspective of like hey you know I've seen what it takes to get a successful program up and running and you know here we are trying to do that and I you know he maybe put his stamp on it something like that um I will say this Joe I'm looking at uh some Twitter accounts right now and apparently Baylor and Iowa State have added fourth members to their travel parties so in the conference released its initial list of media day attendees. There were only three for Iowa state and Baylor, but literally yesterday, those two schools tweeted out pictures of them sending four. So I don't know if that was a requirement. I don't know if they just felt left out like everyone else has four. we should give a fourth kid the opportunity, but uh, everyone is sending four, but still, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, Jamison or Coburn or somebody who had been here a little bit longer uh, would have made some more sense to me, but yeah, now, now we're definitely putting too much stock into this. We've been talking about this for too long. The Big 12 has a lot going on. So, uh, you know, there's there's some important things for them to try to shore up over the the course of the next, I don't know, year and a half. Mm-hmm. You looking for anything particular from uh, the new Big 12 commissioner? Um, nothing from Bob. Bob Bowlesby does not seem to be making an appearance, or if he is, it's not announced. Uh, they'll have Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark there, who – Used to work for Rock Nation and used to be what the COO of the Nets. Uh, very much an odd hire, just because he's not an athletic, you know, typical athletics suit. Like this is a guy in the business world. Uh, he's in the NIL world uh, at, at Rock Nation. Um, anything to make that hire? Or are you just kind of going to tune him out because it's like, look, dude, we'll see you in a few years. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, we don't really need to listen to anything you have to say. It doesn't concern us anymore. Um, Well, he's going to be asked about realignment. And I wonder, he won't be asked this question, but I wonder if the powers that be in the Big 12 regret this hire already. Like, if if they would have known that USC and UCLA were going to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 10 and we were about to have more realignment in this sort of race to be the third big conference in college sports, would they have hired this guy? Or would they have hired a guy with a little bit more of a sports background? No one's going to ask your mark that like that's he can't answer that question. But like if someone got truth serum, is there already some regret for thinking outside of the box and going for a more, I don't know, business NIL type related hire versus just a guy who can handle and we like we know can handle uh, everything that goes into college sports. So curious to hear his answers about realignment. Like I'll always care about the big 12 and, and want to know what's going on with any team in this conference. Hell, I want to know what's going on all across college football. So I, I do want to hear what he has to say in terms of realignment and whether or not the big 12 rumors are true that they are looking to add maybe the Arizona schools and get Colorado back into the conference and get Utah in here. So that's what everybody I think is going to be looking out for, but 
Uh, that stuff doesn't really concern Texas. I do wonder if he'll get asked about Texas and Oklahoma's departure. I'm sure if he does, he'll, he'll give the cookie cutter. Ah, the TV rights deals expires then, so we assume they're leaving then. I'd put thing. a mortgage on him being asked about that. Yeah, so I, I assume he'll give, like, the answer he's supposed to give, which is the answer, like, Texas people are giving right now because as of now, that's that's where we're at. Uh, so I, I guess I'm looking forward to hearing that too, but probably already know the answer there. Uh, so those are the big things, I guess, but – and nothing else, uh, nothing else I care about too much, Joe. Am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I think so. That's going to be there's he's just going to be bombarded. I don't think he knows what he's getting into. And if he does, well, I hope he's getting paid a lot of money because <laughs> it was last year when I think Bob Bowlesby said something like, you know what, we we couldn't be happier with the direction of the conference right now. We think we're in a good position. And, you know, he could he could claim, uh, you know, several championships and great appearances in, in, in all different sports. And I think, you know, it's obviously football media days, but it, he the, the conference likes to say, hey, not only do we have a college World Series and, you know, our best basketball national champion in Baylor and they'll talk about back to back champions now. Um, but at a certain point, people are just going to add people were asking Bob Bowles be like, Hey, what do you think about the future of the conference? And Oh, it's fine. It's fine. And then a month later, it's well, the two big dogs are leaving. Um, so, and you know, that expedited the process, I believe uh, to bring in U of H central Florida, BYU and uh, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So, all right. We're at the last legs of our show, but it's here. The oh. Big 12 poll has been released. Wow, right on time, right at 2 o'clock. Good for the Big 12 not making us wait. All right, you want me to go from 10 to 1 and we can get out of here? Yes. All righty. Wow, there's some interesting first-place votes spread out. Number 10, Kansas Jayhawks. Shocking. Did they get any ninth-place votes? Uh, I, I, they may have, uh, so let's see, 17 plus 12 is 29 plus nine is 38, 40. So I guess 41 people sent in a ballot and they have 48 points. Yo. So, right. Did I do that pocket Probably math? Not. Right? There's no way. So 38, 40. Yeah. 41 media members sent in ballots and they got 48. So somebody thinks that they were better than ninth place. Texas Tech, a little surprising because I think there's been so many people high on Joey McGuire, but wondering if the roster's right. Yeah. Number eight, West Virginia. Big Number year six. for Neil Brown. Well, we, we could save that talk for a future episode, but big yeah. year for that dude. Me thanks. Number eight, West Virginia. Number seven, TCU. Makes okay. sense. First year coach, decent roster. Number six, with a first place vote, the Iowa State Cyclones. Wow. Somebody may know some either knows a lot more than we do, or uh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, First place vote for the Cyclones. Good. That that one is that's a little intriguing. Number five, K State, no first place votes. Okay. Number four, with two first place votes, Texas Longhorns. And then there's kind of a clear line at the top uh, between three and four. Number three, Oklahoma State, nine first place votes. Number two, we talked about this earlier, Oklahoma, 12 first place votes. And number one, the Baylor Bears with 17 first place votes. Wow. Seems about right. I don't think, uh, I think you can maybe swap one or two teams, but 
I think the the tiers of Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State, then I think you go Iowa State, TCU, Tech, West Virginia, and then Kansas. I think that's split right. But at least among the top four, Baylor, OU, Oklahoma State, and Texas seems about right to me, except I'd probably flip. I'd probably bump OU down to four, put Texas three and Oklahoma State two. Okay. Yeah, uh, more parity in this league than we've seen in a long time. Um, wait, when's the last time Oklahoma was not favored to win the Big 12? It's it's happened. Um, okay. Maybe maybe 2020 or uh, yeah. 2019. Probably more recent than I would think. All right. Yeah, no, we talked about it earlier. Like We, we expected there to be a, a, a sort of separation, a spread of first place votes, if I can speak today, uh, throughout a number of different teams. And sure enough, that's the case. I did not see Iowa State getting a first place vote. I, I also did not see Iowa State getting a first place vote, especially with a uh, no-star running back, a, a very good – uh, wide receiver, but also unknown at quarterback. So yeah. who knows? Someone knows something about Hunter Deckers that I don't know. At least yeah. I don't have to go to Ames this year. Yeah, there There's you go. Flight from out of Des Moines. That's big. Which, which did happen, unfortunately. So, all yeah. right. Anything else, or is it uh, time to uh, wrap this one up? I think we're done. We can uh, dive into that Big 12 preseason poll a little bit more next week, give some further thoughts on that, and obviously talk more happening surrounding Texas football, Texas basketball, Texas baseball. We always do that on this podcast, and we appreciate y'all's continued love and support of this podcast. And like Joe said, to start things off, we're back into our groove. We're back into a regular routine of releasing an episode once a week, less than two months away from the start of uh, the college football season and media days right around the corner. It really makes it feel like college football is upon us. So uh, we'll keep bringing you content each and every week. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter. Speaking of content, follow him at Joseph Cook 89 and subscribe to Inside Texas. If you haven't done that yet, uh, the best UT coverage that you could possibly find. All things football, including recruiting, basketball, baseball, anything happening on the 40 acres, they've got you covered over at Inside Texas. You still have that $1 deal going on, Joe? No, but uh, if you go ahead and support our buddy Paul Wadlington and buy Thinking Texas Football, uh, which I think is about 15 bucks, depending on where you buy your books, you can get a promo code for half off a uh, annual subscription to Inside Texas. So there you go. Uh, it's about, you know, you're cutting the price in half for the best preview book and best uh, week to week, day to day Texas Longhorns information uh, available. It's a great deal. Yeah, Paul's preview book brings it every single year. So definitely check that out. Check Inside Texas out. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to The Wheelhouse every weekday from 3 to 7 in ESPN Houston, or on ESPN Houston, I should say, ESPN975.com if you're outside the listening area. That's going to do it for us. Until next time, for Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy. And hook them. <laughs>